sort of how how do I say this? Um, the practice itself was absolutely brilliant and amazing, and the organization had a lot of issues, which you can learn about in the documentary or mm -hmm. other places. But one of the things that I learned in the practice was that it's possible to take emotions. So take frustration, take anger, and just with intention, send those down to the genitals and let them be stroked there. And they can be alchemized and just completely get heated up and just dissolve. Welcome to the 1000 Day Solar Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every wicked moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. <coughs> How you doing, folks? Sorry about the cough there. Just had a coaching session with somebody and I was screaming at the top of my voice. Yeah, I scream when I'm having coaching sessions with people as well. And uh, so I just hurt my voice. Um... I won't keep you too long. I'll introduce uh, you to my guest today, and uh, you can just revel in her juiciness, her amazingness. So Dr. Caroline Elliott, she's the author of Existential Kink, a handbook of life-altering magic and cult favorite creativity book, Awaken Your Genius. And I actually found her by reading Existential Kink. Okay. Um, she runs a seven figure online business specializing in helping people achieve dramatic positive change in their lives through shadow integration practices and applied occult philosophy. Caroline is Caroline, sorry, is known for her uncanny and uncomfortable ability to trick really smart, high achieving magical people into doing the things that they actually want to do. She's a teacher of life altering online courses, including wealth, the alchemical community where leaders come into their full power. What do we talk today? We talk about uh, the shadow side of stuff. We talk about how we call in um, the absolute worst. If you think about the worst thing that is happening in your life right now, the one that you moan and groan that is always happening, we talk about how it's very likely that you actually get off on that kind of stuff. So if you're broke, you get off on being broke. If you live in a real shit neighborhood, you kind of get off on that, right? If you're um, being treated horrifically by your boss, there's some part of that where we kind of getting off on it, right? Um, we talk about sex um, and how that applies to existential kink. What else do we talk about? Um, I don't know. You'll have to listen to it. But it's a really, really good conversation about really looking into yourself and analyzing um, not just all the wonderful things that you want from life and all the beautiful attributes you have in your character, but also celebrating the shit out of the terrible things that happen in your life and celebrating those aspects of your personality that the world tells a story uh, that they're, they're not really wanted, okay? Um, basically, just love all aspects and parts of your being, even the ones that are a little bit fucked up, okay? That's what, that's what Carolyn really, really excels in. If you want to learn more about her, by the way, just check out um, the uh, notes in whatever uh, podcast playing platform you're listening to or email me direct at thestrivemethod at gmail.com and uh, I can put you in touch with her and her team, all right, because she is an amazing, amazing teacher. Okay, so without much ado, I will shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Dr. Carolyn Elliott. Well, Carolyn, it's a pleasure meeting you. I love reading your book, Existential Kink. Just uh, explain to the people listening, I've done a uh, an intro before this, but where where are you in the world? Uh, yeah, right now I'm with my family in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ah, what's it like in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania these days? Yeah, well, um, it's pretty cozy for us because we, me and my husband have lived here pretty much our whole lives except for some travel. Um, mm. So we have a lot of friends and family and uh, the weather is gray and cold right now because it's the middle of winter, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's home, although we are hoping to move to Mexico, but we got to get some family things figured out. 
The only uh, pencil, whenever I think of Pennsylvania, there's a book series that I read to my daughter uh, called The Magic Treehouse. And they, they live in, a, I'm sure it's a fictitional place, um, Frog Creek, Pennsylvania. Is it ficti- fictitional or is it real? You know, it could be real. There's a Turtle Creek right near where I ah, live, Turtle Creek, look. Pennsylvania. So I believe there could be a Frog Creek very easily. There could be. There could be. <laughs> All right. So what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do today, Carolyn, if it's okay, I'm gonna read a, a few quotes from your book that I've um, bookmarked, and then we can have conversations on them. How does that sound? Sounds wonderful. Okay. So here's the first one I got was. Um, I propose that all of our suffering and stuckness in life comes from forgetting that we are divine sparks playing a wild kinky game and that great miracles can come forth in our lives when we reverse the process of forgetting by deliberately reclaiming the pleasure of the game, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and genitals. And I wrote here, um, could you share your views on the process of forgetting that we are divine sparks? (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah. And I've got a follow up question, but start with that. Sure. Well, so I think that that process of forgetting is fairly automatic for pretty much all of us. Like as we come into incarnation, we become identified solely with these bodies and these personalities. And certainly all of our social conditioning um, affirms that, you know, even mm. if we come from a spiritual or religious family, you know, we're still encouraged to identify like, this is your name, this is who you are, you know. (laughs) Um, And that identification is useful up to a point, like our egos are really valuable parts of us. They're sort of like the, the animal part of us that wants to survive, that's in charge of survival. um, And that sees ourselves as separate from our environment. So that's, that is super useful for navigating the world. Um, The downside of it is that when we exclusively identify with our egos, which tend to be like the inner monologue inside of our head and the part of us that just wants good stuff all the time, you know, I want to be loved, I want money, I want social status, I want all of this stuff that will support my survival naturally. Mm. And that's wonderful. But when I think that that's all that who I am, all that I am, um, I forget, I am forgetting my true nature, which is absolutely you know connected to everything which in in a sense is everything um so the process of remembering in the western esoteric tradition that i work in that's known as the great work and you know plato the greek philosopher plato emphasized that remembering is the whole work of the soul so sorry my eyelashes are doing something funky (laughs) so the whole, um, you know, the point of philosophy is really to invoke our remembrance. And likewise, I would say the focus, the point of spiritual practices like contemplative prayer, meditation, is to um, start to loosen our identification with just this single ego, self, body, personality complex, and really open up first into identification with the larger soul. And then eventually identification with the spirit, which is non-dual, which is absolutely everything. Mm, I like that. Let me share with you my personal story as just a part of it, because okay. it connects with that. And I think uh, I'd be interested in your views and, and further comments, because I think it will uh, land with a lot of the community here. So <clears throat> I, um, I s- decided to stop drinking alcohol when I was 35. Up until that point, I was drinking all the time. It was, um, I wouldn't even say that I defined myself as addicted or as an addict because everyone around me was doing the same thing. It was normalized, right? Um, And when I stopped drinking at 35, I wasn't sure what to expect, but what I got, I didn't expect at all. And that was something awoken in me and I, I just changed dramatically. I started crying a lot. I was super sensitive. I was um, really tuned into my emotions. Um, I couldn't jive with anybody. (laughs) I didn't get them. They didn't get me. I had this huge feeling that I had somehow um, fast-forwarded through life on hyperspeed up to 35 
not none of my decisions were mine. <laughs> I felt like I was a puppet with some somebody with a hand up my ass. And I <laughs> felt so much anger, frustration, and sadness that I kind of wasted 35 years of my life, but also a determination to find out what the hell was going on to achieve self-awareness and get out of this matrix and just actually find out who I was. I had no idea who I was. Um, And I wasn't expecting that just by drinking, uh, stopping drinking alcohol. Uh, And it sounds like that's what you're talking about in a certain sense. Do you want to? Yes, absolutely. So, um, so I love that you bring up your journey with um, stopping the use of alcohol, because I would say that certainly our modern culture really abuses alcohol in general and uses it as a means to encourage that forgetting. You know, Mm. alcohol as an intoxication can take us into deeper states of unconsciousness and um, make us more susceptible to sort of going along with general social conditioning, social programming that says, you know, go to school, get a job, do this, do this, do this, and encourages us really not to question. I think it's really interesting. I'm um, right now I'm abstinent from all substances other than coffee, (laughs) but, um, but I find it fascinating that in our society, in, um, you know, most of the Western modernized world, Alcohol is legal, whereas psychedelics, which have the potential of, you know, expanding consciousness or bringing people into a greater awareness of their souls or their spirits, um, are very, you know, illegal, highly controlled substances in most cases. So it's there is sort of like um, the powers that be have a vested interest in having people be numb and kind of drunk and kind of out of it and not super aware. Mm. So, yeah, and it makes sense to me that when you stopped using alcohol, you began to get in touch with your emotions. You know, you were sort of direct, raw, experiencing life without that numbing. And, um, And that, wow, what a challenge that is to have to face, you know, all of the pain, all of the emotions, the alienation, the... Ooh, it is such a journey. I, you know, I've been through it um, myself. Mm. So I really, I, I have such admiration for everybody who starts to question, like, why am I using this substance? Is this really making my life better? Maybe such not. a simple, <laughs> and it's such a simple and yet profound question that we don't even think of asking. We could we could go through our entire life and never. I know people who will go their entire life and never ask. Why am I drinking this? Like they will never even ask the question. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy. Certainly, yeah. And so, you know, what you did sounds to me like certainly a spiritual awakening where you like, hey, I want to be more aware. I want to know who I truly am. I want to get serious about finding answers. Mm. And um, I existential kink for me has been a big extension of my ongoing spiritual awakening work because what it is is um, it's a practice of enjoying the whole of experience and not just like a teeny tiny part of it because mm. you know we're we're usually encouraged to only be happy when things are going our way, when yeah. the money is flowing in and the promotions are coming or whatever good things are happening. But life is so much more than just these narrowly defined, you know, good things happening to us. And um, I've found for myself that it's been possible for me to loosen my identification with that socially conditioned ego and open a lot more into identification with my larger soul and spirit the more that I practice really enjoying a much wider range of sensations. Mm. I'm going to touch upon um, existential kink in a minute. I have an idea, actually. I did the meditation earlier on before we came on, so I can share that with you and we can use it as an example. Um, But in in, uh, the true spirit of pure societal conditions, to give an example of societal conditioning Mm -hmm. to the audience, when I when I read that quote out, I'll just reread the last part of it. Um, I'll read it all. I propose that all of our suffering and stuckness in life comes from forgetting where divine sparks play in the wild kinky game. And the great miracles can come forth in our lives when we reverse the process of forgetting by deliberately reclaiming the pleasure of the game. Now this bit, not just in our minds, 
but in our hearts and genitals. And societal conditioning, when I say just in our minds and our hearts and genitals, I'm thinking, why is genitals in there? Right? It's, it, I have an immediate thing in my mind that's going, oh, are we supposed to say that, genitals? So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm really interested why in so much of self-help, <clears throat> you will always find work on the mind, work on the body, work on the heart. It's very rare that you throw genitals in there. Why did this become a part of your work, um, sex and intimacy and, and that kind of area? Yeah, great question. So um, let's see. Uh, I mean, there's a long story and there's a shorter story. I'll try to give you <laughs> for the sake of time. Um, I have I have a very eclectic background. So I grew up, um, my, my mother took me to Catholic church. My father took me to all sorts of far out New Age, Wiccan and Druid and Buddhist, Rosicrucian stuff. I got exposed to um, magic, including a branch of magic known as the Lema, which has to do with the notorious magician Aleister Crowley. Um, I So in my late 20s, I also got involved with a group called One Taste, which there's a scandalous Netflix documentary about them and this woman named Nicole Dedone who is a fascinating pioneer, certainly with a shadow side. But um, Nicole wrote a book called Slow Sex, and she did a famous TED Talk that had millions and millions of views called Orgasm, the Missing Nutrient in the Western Woman. And I was like this stressed out, crazy grad student. I was getting my PhD in English. And I saw this TED Talk, and I started to get really interested in this subject. And eventually, I got trained by One Taste, and they had a practice of sexual meditation, sort of like a stripped-down Zen version of Tantra called Orgasmic Meditation, or OM for short, which was a partnered practice that involved um, one partner stroking in a very defined almost military precision kind of fashion with gloves and a timer and lube and a whole choreography, um, stroking the clitoris of a woman for 15 minutes, very, very lightly. And the whole focus of the meditation was to really focus in on just the sensation. So to not get lost in fantasy or anything, but just like focus on the sensation of finger on clitoris, like you would focus on the sensation of breath, you know, going in and out of the nose in breathing meditation. Mm. And that was a really fascinating um, experience that I had in one taste. You know, I learned a lot about um, sort of how, how do I say this? Um, the practice itself was absolutely brilliant and amazing. And the organization had a lot of issues, which you can learn about in the documentary or mm -hmm. other places. But um, one of the things that I learned in the practice was that it's possible to take emotions. So take frustration, take anger, and just with intention, send those down to the genitals and let them be stroked there. And they can be alchemized and just completely get heated up and just dissolve. And eventually I learned it doesn't even take stroking. It can just be pure attention. So what we do in existential kink practice is we're just tapping into the sexual energy that's naturally present in our bodies and using that along with our attention as a kind of heat that puts fire under these sort of frozen stuck emotions and heats them up. So they get to this boiling point and then they just they vaporize. Mm. And then the negative patterns in our lives that those sort of negative, stuck, frozen emotions kept drawing us into again and again, those also vaporize. They're gone. And suddenly we find ourselves um, with much more free energy and able to be attracted to much different situations. And that's the miraculous part. Mm. I, I've heard about the... I don't know. I can't remember where I read it about the um, the clitoris experiment. I also have a friend, well, a friend of my wife's actually. She she hired somebody <laughs> to do that for her, 
for it was longer than 15 minutes but it was a it was a long time like she, she hired somebody to do it like no kissing no connection nothing like that that was just his job in that moment and she was like wow it's the most incredible experience she's ever had so i'm jealous i don't have one of those but uh, uh <laughs> well i think um, the organization is starting up again i'm not sure exactly where in the world you're located but if you're curious about it, you can look them up. Um, I mean, they have, like I said, they have some reputational <laughs> issues as an organization, but mm. um, it, they definitely have a lot to teach about um, clitorises, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole the whole area of sex for me is an area that is just, it's just, I feel like I've been playing around in the paddling pool and then over here, there's an ocean, <clears throat> you know, it's, um, I just, the more and more, like I was reading some Esther Perel and I was just thinking, you know, I, I actually, I don't even look at sex as play. Mm. I, I, I look at sex as a function or a need or a desire. And I look at it in a very, um, selfish and, um, yeah, very selfish is for me. <laughs> and e e even, even if it, you know, like if I have sex with my wife and well, all my life I've had sex and I would say to myself, okay, um, I would have this rational logic going, I'm going to make her come first. So I don't feel as selfish when I come, but then really all I would, it was just all selfish. It was just, it, it, I was just so locked up and still am in the rational, logical complain that I don't get any going too quick when I do get some that I'm missing the point completely and <laughs> it is it is a conversation that me and my wife have had and it's there's no excuse we could say we haven't got time kids etc cetera, etc cetera. but it is somewhere I'd like to go to really explore not just how I can open myself up sexually but enjoy that partnership with my wife on a different level and also use that power in just my day-to-day -day existence and how I show up in the world. Does that make sense? That definitely makes sense. And I would say that that's a, a wonderful, honest self-awareness that you have and definitely something that can be cultivated. Um, there's another organization I'm aware of. I haven't taken classes with them, but I've heard good things called ISTA, International mm. Society of Temple Arts, that also teaches um sexuality is an expansive practice so basically i mean I, I was just talking about psychedelics earlier but sex is like an inborn psychedelic that mm. the government can't make illegal <laughs> unless they i don't know what gave us all they would have to put us all in handcuffs or something but um there's uh, that's one of the things that i became aware of during my time in one taste is that orgasmic energy when it is cultivated with slowness and attention and space really turns into, you know, moves into other centers of the body and opens up whole other kinds of perceptions. So um, my uh, practice of existential kink grew out of that awareness that sexual energy can be used to alchemize and change uh, things in our lives. And um, yeah, these days I lead a stroking practice inside of my online community and in my in-person mystery school, which is called mm. Orgasmic Gnosis. So um, it's about specifically, it's a guided self-stroking practice for both men and women, for people with all kinds of genitals. And um, we use the energy generated in self-stroking to likewise access those expanded gnosis states i know i'm going off on a super tangent here but i'll bring it back i mean it's all related but um i was talking to someone who's really close to me uh yesterday a, a man and he's uh just stopped uh using porn so he's he's gonna stop using porn and he's actually gonna stop masturbating for a period of time as well because he's 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 saying that he's got an unhealthy relationship with it um and I was talking to him and, and suggesting that somewhere down the line, you know, the way I look at it, because I've had my own problems with it, is if, I, if I'm if i feeling conscious in a state of self, tapped into my innate wisdom, um, feeling like I'm really self-aware, then there 
that and then choosing to have a, a self-pleasure practice with some oil, watch it, watching some pornography I want that is like created for that purpose and not like putting on new porn or Pornhub or something. So like some, I don't know, arty or some healthy <laughs> pornography. Um, and then just taking my time and stroking and using um, uh, toys and stuff is very different to uh, I'm feeling really low. I'm feeling really down. I'm feeling like a victim. I think I'm just going to put on new porn. I'm just going to jack one out in five minutes flat and feel really guilty afterwards. And as I was explaining this and, and sharing this, I, I, I do like, there's a question that comes up with me is like, are we missing out somehow as guys because the penis is nowhere near as hypersensitive as the clearest. So, for example, when I do those self pleasure practices, I'm not. It's not taking me to the moon. Like I'm not going to the Mars on a rocket ship. You know, it's it's better and more enjoyable. But I guess I don't know if I have a block when it comes to self pleasure practice. It's just being programmed out of me because of societal conditioning, or. I have a penis and it's just, it doesn't work like a clitoris. So I'm not <laughs> going to end up having stars well, everywhere. Yeah. Well, great, great question. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, in my conversations with, um, so it is a bit different for men because for example, men lose energy when they ejaculate. Yeah. So, um, that is sort of a big deal because that doesn't really happen for women when they climax, there's not like a big loss of life force energy, but mm. for men there is, and that can, you know, certainly become an issue. Um, so something that, um, I mean, there's a variety of answers to this, but like one thing is to focus on self-pleasuring without ejaculation. So stopping without that to is retain one's energy because for men, and I mean, there's a whole world of um, Taoist um, sexual practices for men, like Montauk Chia would be a resource for that. There's also um, those ISTA folks that I mentioned earlier have a book called Sex Shamans that might be of interest to you. Mm -hmm. Because I gather that the key, one of the keys for men is, um, you know, preserving and circulating that energy that would be otherwise lost in ejaculation. And over time, you know, rate like learning to have orgasms that are non-ejaculatory and learning to circulate the seed in the body so that it goes up to the higher centers instead of being expelled and that that has something to do with men being able to reach those expanded states via sexual mm. alchemy mm. i have i have tried those like i've i have in i have ejaculated inwards before but not but i've had to so the intervention was to put my fingers in my and squeeze my perineum and then when i come i came inside and had an orgasm um so i've done that i've done that a few times definitely something to to look into for sure and and i imagine there's there's a lot of people listening to this now if they're still listening who would have been triggered about me talking about these type of things mm -hmm. right which which kind of brings us back into existential king quite nicely because you know a, a lot of what you talk about is um you know making the unconscious conscious Right. And a lot of people who feel threatened or feel that it is taboo or somehow it's slimy to talk about sex. Um, I would, uh, it's very difficult to argue this because everybody is very individual. But to me, it just feels like it's a biological um, human feeling. And when somebody is turned off or think it's a bit slimy, I kind of get the feeling that there's some unconscious block there that is preventing the normality of the whole um, actually accessing this, this part of them. So, you know, could you talk a little bit about existential kink and this link between, um, I think it was Carl Jung, you, you quoted in the book, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. Yeah, could you just talk about that a little bit? Certainly. Yeah, I love that Carl Jung quote. I just feel like it's so, so true, which is that um, all of us, 
have stuff in our unconscious, right? And depending on the kind of conditioning that we've grown up with, there can be quite a lot that has that is just completely pushed down, completely disassociated from our conscious ego self and mm. put into the shadow. And certainly with um, you know, judgmental or moralistic attitudes about sexuality, lots of things about sexual, you know, desire, um, everything like that can get put into that sort of category. And definitely that can leave people in a very constricted state where they're, um, yeah, they're just not, they don't have much conscious access to their natural human inheritance. And um, the kind of fate that that can create can be kind of sad because when you are cut off from a huge part of yourself, that definitely, you know, can lead you into situations and life choices that might not be the most fulfilling place for you to be. So the process of making the unconscious conscious can take a lot of different means. It can happen through dream work, it can happen through, you know, just meditation, paying attention to one's thoughts that aren't ordinarily top of the awareness. And existential kink is another tool for making the unconscious conscious. And existential kink focuses specifically on desires that have been disassociated from the conscious ego. So, for example, like I said, the ego always wants good stuff. But there's a part of me that is really turned on by and attracted to the experiences of rejection, the experiences of scarcity, the experiences of, um, you know, feeling like people are devaluing me. And it took me so much work and so much honesty to realize that that was the case and that I could make those desires conscious and allow myself to receive whatever fulfillment of those I was experiencing in my mm -hmm. life, whatever actual rejection or scarcity was coming my way and really receive that and be delighted in it for the part of me that wasn't attracted to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the existential kink in that way is like a kind of a, a holistic means of really taking responsibility for the things that we may feel some erotic pleasure in that we're not supposed to feel erotic pleasure in because they don't support survival. They don't support our social status. They're sort of the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that, um, I mean, there's many different theories about why this happens, but Freud called it psychic masochism, and he also called it the repetition compulsion, which is that when, as children, we experience, you know, difficult, painful experiences, let's say somebody feels rejected by their mother in some way, um, the child's psyche, to hold itself together, takes a certain amount of life force energy, libido energy, and attaches that to the experience that's painful, the experience of being rejected. And ever afterwards, there will actually be a bit of an attraction to that experience, even though it's negative, even though it's scary, there's sort of an attraction to it because it's um, it's familiar. Mm. And so that was Freud's theory about why people develop these repetition compulsions, because he would be talking to people and they would be, you know, um, there would be no particular reason why they would have to be rejected by the opposite sex, but they would get themselves into situations where they were just rejected over and over again. And it was like they were unconsciously desiring that rejection. So Freud and Jung and all of the early um, pioneers of psychotherapy were very in touch with the fact that people have unconscious desires for things that aren't good, that they're not supposed to want. And in fact, much of the art of dream interpretation came about as a way of the psychotherapists being able to get people to really recognize and really understand, like, this is what's going on with you. Your own dreams are spelling it out mm. because they found that if they just said it outright to somebody like, hey, you know, you really actually kind of super enjoy being rejected. The person mm. would be like, what are you talking about? I hate it. It makes my life miserable. You have no idea what you're saying. And they would storm out. So, um, you know, dream interpretation and, you know, longer talk therapy became a way to build trust and build rapport and get somebody to understand that their own psyche was letting them know that that was what was going on with them. But with my book, Existential Kink, I've just sort of skipped all that. And I'm just telling people straight up, you enjoy things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you enjoy things. You're supposed to enjoy. You enjoy things that your 
paradigm says you're not supposed to. I I I I I get this I get this feeling that a lot of it is to do with language, right? It's like it's like we if we look at if we look at the word anger, the word itself in the way that I've been conditioned is that that is a it's like that's a bad word, that's a bad emotion. Where, you know, then I learned from Carl Carl McLaren, who's been a guest on this show that all emotions are gifts and all emotions are beautiful. And it's like, oh, right, really? So now when I look at anger and look at sadness, I I, I think it's great. But I, but but the wording of it and the way that I was raised is, is to repel it. Similarly, the, suppose that somebody could enjoy find enjoyment out of something that they're telling somebody is actually their pain and suffering. The way that it's been explained to you as you've grown up through whatever influence it's just it just it's wrong so like your resistant parts your ego that wants to kind of protect that little secret i can just imagine it just coming straight to the fore and going now you you don't know what you're talking about this is nonsense i'm not even going to try it and and it's such a shame especially around sex because every single person listening to this podcast who has a problem with alcohol who is thinking about stopping or has stopped you can't get away from sex, right? Like having sex when you are alcohol dependent and then having sex without it, oh man, right? You've got a lot of stuff coming up for you right there, right? So I see existential kink as a really great way, um, not just for sex, but we were talking about that right now of uncovering all kinds of stuff that you get curious to, to get curious about. You know? Yes. So to give an example for somebody who's, you know, um, getting off of alcohol and beginning to have sex without alcohol, what could come up um, would might be uncomfortable feelings surrounding intimacy. You know, like if you were used to always having sex drunk and now you're having sex and, uh, you know, you're you don't have any substance in you then you're much more present with like feelings of, you know, maybe shame about my body or self-consciousness or Mm -hmm. feelings of, you know, what is my partner thinking? Am I good enough? And all sorts of sensations of, um, yeah, yeah, shame, humiliation, um, extreme vulnerability, all of that comes up. So the way that existential kink would be applicable would be taking time to just be present with those sensations and being like, Let's see if I can just relax and allow the sensation of humiliation to arise in me. And can I just let myself enjoy it as a pure sensation? If I'm not making Mm. any judgments or any stories about it, there's like a heat to it. There's like, you know, my heart beats kind of faster. Can I just really be present with it and see what might be enjoyable in it and let that surface and let that move through? And then once we do that in the future, it becomes, you know, much more possible to be like, well, here I am. I'm naked. I don't look like a supermodel, but you know, this is what I got. So, yeah. you know, it's like um, in a way, existential kink is just sort of like a, a erotic twist on, you know, deep forgiveness, deep acceptance, like just being as present and receptive to experience as we can be. Um so I can give a little example of my own recent existential kink practice is sometimes I get, um, you know, before I come on wonderful podcasts like this, mm-hmm. I get a little bit uptight. I'm like, oh, I have to perform. I have to like, you know, really do my best to convey the importance of this idea that I wrote this whole book about. And if I get in touch with that, I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it feels like a kind of bondage. Like I have mm. to perform. I have to put on a show. I have to make it look good and sound good. And when I get into like that, I have to. And I just like really relax to it. I'm like, ooh, there's something fun there. Like, oh, I have to. I just have to, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I can let that be big and I can let that become fun. And when I do that, Again, the energy that was sort of like trapped and stuck and like, oh, I have to, oh, becomes this like, woo, like loose, open, flowing mm. kind of energy. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely an ongoing practice that definitely takes work, but it's bit by bit noticing like, what is the window of sensation that I'm happy with, that I will celebrate and feel good about? 
and getting curious of like, you know, can I allow there to be more sensations in my life that truly delight me? So for example, everybody likes getting a big fat check in the mail. Like, woo, I got a ton of money. Awesome. I'm doing great. I can go on a vacation. What would it be like to be able to experience that kind of deep delight if you receive a giant unexpected bill in the mail? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you get a tax bill you didn't expect or something that's like $20,000. Well, I have no idea how I'm going to pay this. And the, again, the heart beats faster and the cheeks. And like, can we open up and experience that as a kind of thrill also, as a delight also? And it sounds so strange, and it is. But when we cultivate that ability, suddenly we have much greater access to our creativity, to the larger flow of life, to our larger Mm. soul and spirit. So then it becomes much easier to figure out how I'm going to pay this bill that I didn't expect. Instead of like, like, so, you know, miserable and sorry for myself and uh, worried, which is my experience when I'm contracted, when like, this is a negative experience that I don't enjoy. So really, it's, um, you know, it's this ongoing practice of finding out how we can expand ourselves and expand the amount of life that we're willing to really take pleasure in and really regard as a fun roller coaster ride, instead of as, you know, some terrible disaster that's happening to me. Yeah, it feels like um, shifting out of victim consciousness into the realm of creation is like so important with the bill. Yeah, you you got a choice there, but you don't think you have a choice because your unconscious is programmed without you even thinking about it to bill debt, anger, <laughs> you know, um, and then anger is supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be bitter about it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, you have for people listening. One of the great things I love about the way you set your book up is there's loads of exercises in the book. And the reason I love that is because in our community strive, we have quests. So as part of us helping us to stop drinking alcohol and live more consciously, um, you um, join quests and you say, okay, I'm going to do this quest that Lee set up. So we're going to use some of your exercises as quests for people, which will really help them to dive deeper into this um, this philosophy of existential kink. And earlier on today, I got my times wrong. I thought I was your 10, you, you came on at 10 a.m. Eastern and I had it in my calendar as 10 a.m. GMT. So that <laughs> was my fault. So I'm getting, I'm getting ready for it. And my wife said to me, um, why don't you, uh, why don't you try one of the exercises? Right. So I was like, okay. So I did the, um, the existential king meditation. I think I'll, I'll just explain it. And then you can ask any follow up questions and it might, it might give some more context to, um, people listening. So the one of the first things you said in the exercise was think about something that's like, it's bothering you that's on top of you that's taking up too much mental real estate. So I'm currently in a rental property here in Cardiff and it has damp and mold. And I've, it's been getting me down because. Uh, the landlord and the landlady and the estate agent that's running it, they've been been—they've not been looking after us, been no empathy, no compassion, nothing's getting done. Um, so that's been bothering me. So then you next asked, uh, what are the feelings that are coming up? And I wrote down um, feelings of anger, feelings of injustice, feelings of helplessness. They were the, the main three. And then you said, experienced those emotions. So I experienced anger, helplessness, and injustice and generated those feelings uh, as as they were um, in parallel towards how I felt about the house. And then you said, now what what is the what is the desire or the fulfillment or the value that this um emotion is bringing you? So this is where things got interesting. So why would there be value in me getting angry with the estate agent and that, right? You know, people listening would be like, yeah, you should be angry, right? Um, This is what I come up with. So my wife said said to me a while ago, you fucking love arguing. And I said, that is the stupidest (laughs) thing anyone's ever said to me. My entire existence on the surface to self-develop so I don't argue with you, how right she was. 
I like getting angry because if I get angry, I can exert my power over people by through my intellect or my tone, not physical, but through my verbal. So if I shout at my kids, if I shout at my wife, if I shout at the estate agent and the landlord, if I get really aggressive and really rageful and angry, I'm 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 feeling a sense of control and I get off on it. And and I know sometimes I can get angry during sex. And I've asked myself, why am I doing that? Like I love this person and I'm suddenly getting angry. So that came up for me. The injustice led into the anger. And the helplessness, this was really interesting. I have a memory when I was super young, right, really young, of somebody holding me down and uh, flicking my erection. And I'm really small. And um, But when the memory comes up, I'm, I, I don't have any trauma attached to it. I, I'm actually excited and I'm turned on. I must be so young. I don't know who did it or what. I haven't delved into it. I'm, I don't want to. Um, but that really came up when I was thinking, what is it about this feeling of helplessness? And actually, sexually, this sense of helplessness, not necessarily me, but viewing people who are helpless in sexual situations or bondage, like tying my wife up or something like that, is a big turn on for me. So now all of a sudden, I'm thinking to myself, Okay, so maybe you're creating this whole thing. Like you've you've attracted this shithole of a house because actually the whole thing is a big turn on for you. Over to you <laughs> if you've got any follow-up uh, questions Lee? or observations. Did I uh, do it right? You are you're definitely on your way. These this is a fantastic amount of self-honesty and truthful realization here that you've got going on. I'm very proud of you. So uh, precisely. So now the trick is the practice, like having realized this connection between like, mm -hmm. wow, there's, you know, being in this moldy house, it's almost like a bondage situation. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, we're trapped and there's this anger and this helplessness. So the challenge now, the, the um, fruition of the existential king practice, now that you've generated all that awareness, is to really just spend time tapping into that, you know, anger and the feelings of power and control that come with it. And just in your own, you know, private, you know, meditation time, letting those feelings get really big and huge and enjoy them to the maximum. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to act them out. You don't have to actually yell at anybody, but just like imagine doing it, just like feel it, just like revel in it, completely mm -hmm. enjoy it. Right. Because nobody in our society says, oh, yes, you should really get off on being angry and exerting control over other people. There's no encouragement to do that. But yeah. it becomes this repressed thing that then just keeps repeating over and over again. So the trick to ending the repetition and to transcending that fascination with anger or arguing is to let the enjoyment of it just blossom completely and just really shamelessly go into it and let it be as big and as deep and satisfying and really be on the side of the part of you that fucking loves it. Just don't, mm. don't judge that side. Just get on root for it. Cheer for it. Mm. Be like, here's this anger that I wanted. It's so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise, here are these feelings of helplessness that have an erotic charge for me. I'm just going to be let those feelings get as big as they can be. And I'm going to receive them with gratitude and consciousness and recognition that they are a fulfillment. They're not a curse. They're something that a part of me is deeply attracted to. And I don't have to judge that part of me. I don't have to push it away. I can really align with it and love it and let it receive this that it's been seeking. And the whole when the whole situation becomes this massive fulfillment, you're like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. I got into this moldy house where everybody's ignoring me. This is amazing. <laughs> Whoa. I get to be so angry. I get to be so helpless. Whoa, yes. And when that, when you reach that state with it, I I mean, I think you'll be amazed at how quickly the situation resolves. At least that's always been my experience and mm. the experience of thousands of people that I've worked with, which is when you really let yourself get to that insane level of super enjoying this nutty situation. That's when it just 
and the whole landscape of everything changes. Yeah, and and, and the, we were talking this morning, me and my wife, about not just the house, but you know, my wife is from California. I can't get into the country at the moment because I don't have a visa. So we're in the UK. It's pouring down with rain. It's miserable. You wake up, it's dark. You go to bed, it's dark. And <laughs> we were talking this morning how how easy it is for our conditioning to drag us into scarcity mindset. And all of the literature out there in in vanilla self-help, I use the word vanilla self-help because <laughs> your book is in a way self-help, but it is it's different, right? So in vanilla... <laughs> Vanilla self-help is, oh, get out of scarcity and get into abundance. What I'm what I'm gathered from existential king is there's a piece of work before that or might not even be needed. And that is to love and to revel in and to enjoy and to after you've created self-awareness of why that scarcity exists and why you called it in. And do that before you go to abundance. Don't just shun it because you might actually be missing like a huge big piece of your your growth and your development and self-awareness. Yeah, well, very well said. And I guess to that, I would add that to my thinking, existential kink and more conventional teachings about law of attraction or self-help are totally copacetic. They're actually saying the same thing, which is that if you want your life to be really amazing, you need to be feeling a ton of enjoyment, a ton of gratitude, a ton of like orgasmic, like, whoa, everything's so awesome. But the advice from that more vanilla or conventional stuff is just, well, like you said, shun or ignore the bad stuff mm. and just imagine the good stuff and enjoy your imagination of the future good stuff so much that you just end up there. And that never worked for me, maybe because mm. I'm just a pessimistic, gloomy person. But I would be like, well, it seems sort of weird to just fantasize about all this good stuff when like, this is life, it's happening in front of me. And I could just never make myself ignore it. So to me, to get to those feelings of like, orgasmic joy and gratitude and uh, uh, wow, what an abundance of scarcity I have. This is amazing. This torturous humiliation. This is mm, fantastic. I have to learn for me, I have to get off on directly the actual reality itself. And I just have to let myself get insane enough that I recognize, you know, my soul incarnated for the whole enchilada, the whole experience of, you know, ugliness and beauty, scarcity and abundance, humiliation and respect. Like I'm and just let myself be interested in the full spectrum and really welcome and celebrate the full spectrum. And it's just been my experience that the more I do that, indeed, like the more my life um starts to resemble the, mm. the happy, you know, picture of like, you know, sunshine and <laughs> you know, coconuts on the beach and fun stuff yeah. like that. But it, yeah, for me, it it absolutely has come from that kinky root because I just, and I think a lot of people are like that. They're not good at ignoring reality or they don't want to ignore reality. And what I'm saying is find a different relationship with reality. Like the house is still moldy. The mm. situation is a bondage trapped situation and be fucking insane enough to enjoy it. And that's that's when the shift happens. Yeah, you're not you're not gonna the house situation isn't gonna change by staying in the quagmire of victim consciousness, but it will change if you can elevate yourself into the state of creativity. And existential kink is one route to accessing that creativity. You know, it's yes. like mm -hmm. yeah. You, you you have a great quote in your book on the law of attraction. I say, I'm going to read it out. Um, but now I can put my finger on precisely why the usual law of attraction crowd strikes me as so dumb because they're only half right, I realized. We do always get what we deeply desire, but most of us aren't that aware that much of what we deeply desire is some highly unpleasant, painful, secret, repressed, fucked up shit. <laughs> I love that, man. That's brilliant. And then I wrote a note here at the end. Um, how do we raise self-awareness of the whole? Oh, I love that question. I'm always asking myself that question because, um, <laughs> yeah, I truly believe that that's what, what humanity needs to do is make the unconscious conscious and um, 
that's the only way we're going to transform. I mean, part of my answer to it, and, and you're helping me with it right now, is to spread the word about mm. existential kink, which is one great tool for, you know, becoming more aware and accepting of this. Another thing is just, you know, good old fashioned love and forgiveness and gratitude. Those always are part of what allows us to get the spaciousness inside ourselves where we can be loving of our experience. And, um, uh, yeah, just really, I loved how honestly you talked today, Lee, about, you know, your journey with sexuality. And I'm sure, you know, you're always sharing about your journey with alcohol. Like just this honest sharing is really revolutionary because, um, mm. you know, sometimes people diss about how people overshare on social media or whatever, but, uh, you know, 50 years ago, people were not having these kind of open, honest, public, vulnerable tender conversations about what's really going on with them. So I think even just, you know, being really honest and direct is a huge step forward in helping the larger consciousness of humanity find acceptance and integration. And I'm sure that other, there's going to be listeners who've heard you talk about your journey with it. And they're going to be like, wow, Lee is talking about struggles and he has a ton of acceptance about them and he's looking for solutions and he's you know i maybe i can have that attitude towards my experience also yeah so yeah there's a lot a lot to it um i mean i'm always there's something so i'm in addition to teaching existential kink i teach magic and i run something called sleepover mystery school which is a whole initiatory magical mystery tour experience so I am very embedded in um, the Western esoteric tradition, which involves Rosicrucianism, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, Thelema. And there we talk about um, achieving what's known as knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, which Carl Jung would discuss. He would call it, um, you know, reaching awareness of the self with a capital S. Mm. And that work is done through ritual through dream dream interpretation through meditation through meditations like existential kink so there can be a whole lot of parts to the integration and there's actually something that i'm really excited about lately um which is there's a new book called precognitive dreaming and the long self by a gentleman named eric wargo who also wrote a genius book called time loops and I'm really recommending that book to everybody. I'm just singing it from the rooftops because I think it's a very lucid, kind of secular, direct explanation of how to become aware of the trans-dimensional, trans-temporal parts of ourselves that are always in dialogue with us, are always sending us messages that we can learn to tune into as part of our integration and expansion. And when we do that, we gain a much larger appreciation of the beings that we are and, and the beings that everybody is. So mm -hmm. uh, I could I could talk about that forever, but um, it's... That would be so that would be something that I would recommend to you and your audience to look into is dream interpretation and, and becoming sensitive to precognitive dreams and the ways mm. that we're always receiving messages from our future selves. Mm, I will. And you do talk a lot in um in the book about we don't really most of us don't really know who we are. We have this view in the mirror of who we are, we have no clue of who we are, which which can either be frightening as it was to me when I was 35 and I stopped drinking, but it can also be super exciting because you're like, okay, uh, let's find out who I really am then. Um, can just before you go, could you just explain to the listeners what you mean by magic? Cause I, I don't think you're talking David Blaine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not you. stage magic. No. Um, so what I mean by magic, it's magic spelled with a K. So, um, there's a few different popular definitions of it. One is the act of causing change in accordance with will, or the act of causing change in consciousness in accordance with will. Um, another way that I like to explain it is magic is active participation in synchronicity. So instead of just passively noticing like, oh, I had a dream about my friend and the next day that same friend I hadn't heard from mm -hmm. in 10 years, he called me, you know, which is kind of a precognitive synchronicity. Um, 
instead of just that, we actually, in magic, what we do is we use ritual to create densities of meaning that then, you know, it really seems like the universe cannot resist responding to, you know, God, the universe, spirit is a poet, it loves to rhyme, it loves to create resonance and meaning. So um, it's an art of having that dialogue with the larger fractal holograph of the universe. So, I mean, that's a whole other thing to talk about, but really our universe is a fractal hologram. And there's been many quantum physicists physicists who have talked about this, um, David Bohm, probably most prominently. But everything is repeating patterns at different levels of scale. And the whole is included in all of the parts. So this richly interconnected universe, if we change something small, so if we change something within our own psyches, our own emotions, our own personalities, we will see that reflected in a change all around us very dramatically. And that can also be done with things like um, talismans and stones and herbs. You're creating a pattern of meaning. And then the uh, happenings that correspond with that unfold. So it's a deep art of um, of paying attention to the way that as above, so below, as within, so without, and really learning about the non-dual nature of experience and how nothing is truly separate. So I see magic as a very deep, practical, spiritual path to awakening to the vast, eternal, um, immortal essence of who we are. And to me, it's, um, I mean, the reason why, so I run a mystery school where I take we're, we're about to take um, our second group of people. So 37 people are about to go through four really intense in-person rituals at various locations throughout the United States. And um, the reason that I do that is because mystery initiation in the ancient world for thousands of years was the way that people integrated, that they remembered their whole divine selves, that they became capable of living really you know, rich, wonderful lives. And then that was stamped out with mm-hmm. when Christianity became the imperial religion of the Roman Empire. All of that magic and mystery really got stamped out in the West. And it still flourished in places like Tibet and India. Um, but in the West, we really have sort of an uphill battle in reclaiming the heritage of mysticism, mystery, and magic. But that's something that's really interesting to me. And um, yeah, that's the most direct route I know to creating an integrated, remembering, awake consciousness is through ritual. Well, people listening to this, please check out Dr. Carolyn's work, Extensional existential kink the book but she's written other material as well all the links to her stuff i will put in the show notes or email me directly at the stride method at gmail.com and i can get you in touch with her um what is key here in in her uh closing uh comments there is the world has been shorn of its ritualizations since christianity and unfortunately, we haven't done a very good job at replacing them. And alcohol ritualizations yeah. for young men and young women in Western culture, uh, they're, they're examples of fake, harmful ritualizations. Um, and so it will be good to get more healthier ones in our lives. So go check out Dr. Carolyn. Um, I will be doing the same as well. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for writing that book. I'm glad that this serendipitous universe sent it my way for me to learn and and get here to speak to you. It's not often that you can read a book and then speak to the author. So I'm really honored and feel really grateful that you've carved out some time with me today and my audience. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Lee. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank uh, you guys and girls for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I got a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today or rate and review 
podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it, you could change somebody's life today. Okay. So thank you for listening and thank you in advice in advance for that piece of service. Also want to thank our producer, Stan. Um, Stan is still currently in the Ukraine fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now. Okay. Apart from him. So everybody send out your prayers and your love. Stan, we love you. Thank you very much for everything you do here. For you out there, if you are starting to think about, contemplate, uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol, you do not have to do this alone. Yes, you drink alone, but you don't have to stop alone, okay? And if alcohol is not your thing, but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life, the ego is getting in the way too much, so you're not happy with the way life is going, then reach out to us at thestrifemethod at gmail.com. Just say, Lee. And just tell me what is on your mind, and we'll start to have that conversation. Strive Community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community, and it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight C's of self, our core values, right? Of creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments. And they're really interesting, exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on, do this quest, right? Get involved in this challenge. Um, and strivers are really finding it exciting. And they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy, in a state of flow. And that is has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you how you reach out to others in their life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in your relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at strivemethod at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay, much love, everybody.